Truth Espresso, episode 187. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. Welcome to this episode of Truth Espresso. I am your host, Daniel Minnick, and I have with me my sweet, beautiful co-host, Chelsea Minnick. We are going to talk about one of the major news stories going on, a politically charged news story. Perhaps you've heard about it, the infamous uh, tragic case of the 10-year-old girl who was uh, raped and it's become a case for the abortion debate since the Dobbs decision that we talked about uh, several episodes ago. And so we are going to dive into this because this particular case seems to raise more questions than it answers. And we pray that a lot of the questions that we might raise in this episode will find suitable answers over time. Sweetheart, uh, are you ready to chat about this with me for this episode? <laughs> That's kind of hard to answer, though. Yeah. It doesn't seem like an like it would be an enthusiastic yes. It's this yeah. is not going to be a very fun topic. Yes, I'm ready to engage in this conversation and. Hopefully, we can just bring some light to a very disturbing story that's come out of this. Yes, definitely, sweetheart. So, we're going to look at the article that started it all and then take a deep dive, look at the timeline of events, and then see the questions that get raised because it seems like the politics of this particular situation is just focused on abortion and abortion access and trying to turn the tables on the recent Supreme Court decision, trying to make it as if it's a slippery slope. You can't just simply deny abortion access because you end up harming 10-year-olds. But the original article that started this was on July 1st. Released in the Indianapolis Star, or as it's called, Indie Star for short, because it's IndieStar.com, and it was entitled, Patients Head to Indiana for Abortion Services as Other States Restrict Care. And so the idea was that because a trigger law in Ohio went into effect after Roe was overturned, that was kind of like a, one of those heartbeat laws, kind of like the Texas one. Maybe a little less restrictive, but nevertheless, the idea was that, well, Ohio's one of those states that severely restricts abortion, so look what happens. Here's an example of people who have to cross state lines to get the medical care that they need. And this article mentions the 10-year-old girl. The article says, quote, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, an Indianapolis obstetrician-gynecologist, took a call from a colleague, a child abuse doctor in Ohio. 
Hours after the Supreme Court action, the Buckeye State had outlawed any abortion after six weeks. Now this doctor had a 10-year-old patient in the office who was six weeks and three days pregnant. Could Bernard help? Unquote. And so that was basically the section there talking about mentioning a 10-year-old girl who was having to get an abortion across state lines and to make the reader get outraged. And of course, naturally, if you read that and you're thinking about legal issues, sweetheart, what's one of the first things that you would probably ask after reading that? You know, so it mentions a 10-year-old girl needing an abortion. Could this doctor in Indiana help this poor 10-year-old girl in Ohio in dire straits here? What would be one of the first questions you would ask after reading that? Well, I think first of all, I would be appalled that this happened. And I guess, okay, maybe I should reword that. (laughs) I'm not appalled at that, actually, because there have been cover-ups like this Mm. with Planned Parenthood specifically for years. And the pro-life movement are constantly trying to get police officers, child protective services Mm. to investigate the cover-up that they do for these young girls, 10-year-old, 11, 12-year-old girls, Mm. and they won't do it. And now all of a sudden, we're going to turn every single leaf and stone on this one case because now it fits Mm. their narrative. Anyways, sorry. (laughs) Yes. So the first question I would ask with that would be, okay, what happened to the rapists here? Exactly. So it seems like this article is leaving out an important detail. You'd think it would say something about like police are investigating the crime. You know, maybe they have leads on a suspect. A crime was reported. We will report on that later, you know, kind of thing. Instead of just (laughs) putting little details about essentially a sob story just to get you outraged about the fact, oh, I can't believe this young girl can't get an abortion and she needs it in her own state. And that's all we're supposed to be thinking about? Like, who's the criminal and who's going after him? You know, as you said, that should be the first, that was the first question in my mind reading that, but it seems like the article didn't even think about that because the only issue at hand is who can get abortion as needed when and where. But that's why I'm saying like, I mean, this has been an issue for years of having these young girls brought in Mm. and being victims of abuse. They don't do anything about it. It can even be the same perpetrator bringing a girl across state lines Mm. to the abortion clinic. So it's more hidden and the abortion clinic will see that same girl, that Mm. same guy coming in abortion after abortion and nothing happens to it. And that's just how it always is. That part is like Mm. not necessarily (laughs) surprising. That's what they always do. But they're trying to, like you said, make it into the sob story now of, Mm -hmm. oh, well, this happened and we're going to see more of it. And it's all because she can't access abortion. (laughs) Yeah. Like, to me, that's what would outrage me more is that people would read that and 
not think about what we just asked. That the first thing they're going to think about is the intention of the article to just get you outraged about it. And last night we were watching from the Columbus Dispatch. There is basically a video conference among like eight women. They're Two of them were uh, pro-life women, the others were pro-abortion, but they mentioned at the beginning about this case of the 10-year-old girl, and pretty much it just turned into a kind of a debate over the need for abortion and stuff, and it's like, wait a minute, I think the one pro-life woman there mentioned about prosecuting the rapist you know that was important but it seemed like the pro-abortionists were just on their stick about (laughs) this demonstrates how appalling it is for the uh, supreme court decision and how we need to make sure that (laughs) women have the choice and have the access to abortion but yeah that also raises the question which i want to get into in a little bit about how abortion can enable Abortion access can enable these types of situations. So this case, I want to get into the timeline because the timeline raises questions. But this case uh, started off in the Indianapolis Star and became international news, including President Biden in his speech in which he was announcing his executive order allegedly to try to protect access to abortion, you know, is kind of somewhat ambiguous or whatever as to what it could actually do. But he brought up the case of the 10-year-old girl, and he was lamenting about how, saying, just imagine being that little girl. And yeah, we all feel for her for certain there. But he didn't say anything like, I pray that the police catches the criminal. You know, it's just like we're all supposed to forget that and just think we fix the situation by getting her quick and easy access to an abortion in her own state. And you wonder, like, what would help that girl feel safe Mm. and feel justice has been done? I don't think having an abortion is going to help her Mm. recover, help her work through that. But actually catching or getting the perpetrator out of her life would definitely help that. And so I think how you mentioned at the very beginning that the focus is so much on Hmm. abortion and not on the actual crime that happened. Hmm. And it's just horrific that we're going to just stand by and watch and let young girls be afraid that they're going to be the next one Hmm. (laughs) like that because these perpetrators are not being caught. They're not being tried. They're not having a severe punishment and then they can go right back out and do the same thing again and it's just very sickening yeah because i don't think that for other children or parents of young children who were living in ohio once they found out about this i would think that they would be worried their concern wouldn't just be oh my if that same rapist gets to my child somehow i hope abortion's available here you know like what they're gonna think is like oh no a rapist is on the loose when are police gonna catch him do we know anything about it yeah (laughs) 
So, long story short, and it is kind of a long story, on July 12th, we'll cover the as much as I could coalesce with the timeline here, but I want to kind of get to the highlight here and then go through the timeline to raise some questions. But on July 12th, that's when, after enough news sources like Fox News and so on were interviewing people and they were wondering if this was really a hoax of a case. Surprise, on July 12th, the rapist is arrested and captured, and it's basically to put egg on people's faces after they doubted the story. The rapist was identified as Gerson Fuentes, who's an illegal immigrant from Guatemala, and that could raise a question as to why it took until then for the arrest to happen. So he was 27 years old, but as we'll see, that's not what was documented before. The record of the rape listed the perpetrator as 17 years old in the medical abortion record. And apparently this tactic for documenting the person involved as a minor, so, you know, minor being anyone below 18, so instead of 27, he's reported as 17, so he's a minor, and that's to help him slide under the radar and not face as much potential legal trouble. You know, like, I guess a, a minor having a relationship with a minor isn't as bad in the law as statutory rape, you know, of someone who's an adult and a minor. What's interesting is that the mother of the girl defended Fuentes during an interview from his apartment door, and this was the address in which he was listed, but she was the one who spoke from behind the door. So, about her daughter, she said, she's fine, and about Fuentes, she said, everything that they're saying against him is a lie. Yet, when police questioned Fuentes, he confessed to raping this girl at least twice. So, her argument about him didn't match his own confession about himself. So, that raises also the question about how complicit is this girl's mom in what happened to her own daughter there? And is there some kind of relationship between the girl's mom and Fuentes here? And did they both have some kind of interest? You know, is this really kind of a cover-up? As we get into the timeline, we'll see some of these questions come to light here. So before we get into the timeline, I'll add a little fun to it. Okay. With my (laughs) weekly pop quiz. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is going to be a standard thing for Truth Espresso. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) As much as possible. We need a we need a little trademark for our episodes there. So good job, (laughs) sweetheart. (laughs) Oh. It just makes it fun, especially when we deal with these Mm. more heavy-hearted subjects. I think. But okay, (laughs) so. Do you know what the word Ohio means? Uh, something that's round on both sides and high in the middle? No. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> that's a good thought. <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I don't think I know what Ohio means. <laughs> All right, it's so. the Buckeye State. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good job. <laughs> So the word Ohio actually comes from the Iroquois, which is a group of Native Americans, which means 
Great River. Ohio has over 40,000 miles of waterways. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be Great River. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there is the Ohio River, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and something that's just kind of interesting about the state of Ohio with all this going on is that it is a swing state mm. in the political arena. So it's one of those states that either side really wants to win. Mm, yeah. And making all this publicly distraught information <laughs> that they're trying to get people out to vote and make sure all Democrats get in this next election term. It just seems interesting that all of this has to take place in the state of Ohio. Oh, yeah. More questions to raise there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a nice pop question there, sweetheart. Good to know about Ohio there. And yeah. <laughs> and so let's get into the timeline of this heart wrenching and very strange case to see. Um, yeah, very much politics seem to go on in this case. So, what we do know and what we've researched a little bit pieced together on some of the days. So, according to court records, uh, May 12th was when the court records say that a rape happened in this case of the girl. So, May 12th seems to start the wheels rolling with this particular scenario here. And then June 22nd, Ohio's Columbus Police Department filed a report about a rape of a 10-year-old girl. And that's going to become quite interesting because June 22nd, this was a little while before the Indy Star article first appeared. And then June 30th, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, who is a doctor who performs abortions, who's on staff at Indiana University. So on June 30th, Dr. Caitlin Bernard performed the medical abortion on the 10-year-old girl who was estimated to be just over six weeks pregnant. The article said that she was six weeks and three days. We still don't know for certain whether Dr. Bernard contacted the police to report the rape, if the mother and daughter mentioned that a rape had occurred at this time, but obviously if the mother didn't mention a rape, then the mother would be complicit. And if Dr. Bernard knew there was a rape, then she, as a mandatory reporter, was legally obligated to report a rape at this time. So there were some articles that I saw today. I know CNN had an article that the doctor did file a report and within the two days that she was supposed to in that state. And yeah, mm. but also a couple of days before they went to see Dr. Bernard, they were in contact with a doctor in Ohio. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. And we don't yet know the name of that doctor. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> we just know it was an OB doctor. We don't know if it's male or female or the name. Mm. And that this doctor, it sounds like there was some sort of complication or something that came up that the doctor contacted Bernard and she said, okay, have them drive out here and I can help them. So we're not exactly sure what all was involved with that part, but 
there's, you know, a couple of days. Yeah, let's say a couple of days. So when that doctor contacted Dr. Bernard, and so the mother and the daughter traveled from their home in Ohio to Dr. Caitlin Bernard's uh, office in Indiana. And so that was June 30th when Dr. Caitlin Bernard did the medical abortion there. And then the next day, July 1st, the Indianapolis Star first reports this incident in the article that I read a quote from earlier in this episode. And this article would ultimately make international news. But the details in the article about this particular incident are kind of hazy and obviously political. But what's interesting is that the Indy Star has avoided answering questions when asked by reporters and stuff how they gathered the information for this article. Because, you know, we're talking about a crime here, and yet basically they want to be like publishers' innocence here. Like, we can't give you any information, you know, we just got information and put it in an article. Like, either they don't know enough or they're hiding something or what, but they refuse to give any pertinent information of how they got the information to publish that article. Because obviously if a crime happened and the newspaper had more information about it other than what they actually reported, they would be liable. (laughs) And how does a newspaper get that information the day after her abortion procedure? Yeah, and basically it asked, like, could Dr. Bernard help? <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, so this was the day after. So maybe the, you know, the, in the process of developing the article, I don't know if it took a day or more for them to make the article. Were they aware that the abortion actually occurred or whatever? But it's asking the reader rhetorically, can this out-of-state doctor help this poor girl, you know, who can't get the abortion in her own state? Yeah, so that's July 1st, and then this statewide publication ends up becoming international news. So now the next day, July 2nd, Dr. Caitlin Bernard files the original report of the procedure that documents the perpetrator as a 17-year-old minor. And so she interviewed with the Indianapolis Star to publish about this incident before she files the official paperwork. That's kind of raises some questions. Yeah, so it's like you think the first thing you want to do when you find out about the situation is to contact the police before you start becoming, you know, an interviewed mouthpiece for a political article talking about something that happened with a minor. And so that's what started to raise questions and get investigations going. Like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Someone needs to talk here. Someone needs to be investigated. So I have one more discrepancy to point out Okay, at this time line too. So Dr. Bernard wrote that in, this was also in the CNN article, that she used the RU486 method to Mm. induce abortion, which that usually takes a couple days, Mm. even up to three days for it to fully work. So it's just kind of, wow, that that happened really fast. (laughs) Were the mother and and their daughter in Indiana for a few days, or you think they went there, then headed back? I don't know. (laughs) 
And then if that's the case, you know, if it's RU46, isn't that normally something that it happens at home, basically? Yeah, but, well, I know this is kind of a little bit later, too, but somehow they have the baby to send dna samples into the police yeah because then that was a question that it made me think of that i hadn't thought of before was like wait a minute with the ru-46 and you mentioned it happened several days like is that normally something that you're given that whether you take it then or you take it home you know the effects happen at home basically but yeah And so then, uh, next day that I found with something happening was uh, July 6th. So, four days after uh, Dr. Bernard files the report of the procedure with incorrect information on it. July 6th, police interview the girl and she identifies Fuentes as the rapist. So, this is July 6th. And as I mentioned earlier, July 12th was when the police actually arrested Fuentes. So the girl identified him. So the police knew who he was six days before they actually arrested him. Yeah, that raises more questions because then what's going on here is you're having over time there, you have political speeches, you have people being interviewed, you have people on Fox News and stuff, as we'll see, you know, like there's articles being written suggesting that maybe this is a hoax. So I have a question too about that time frame. So the initial report to, it sounds like Child Protective Services from the mom, Mm. that happened on June 22nd. Mm. Okay, so there's like two weeks from that report, or even three weeks, about three weeks till he gets arrested. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And there are other children in that home. Mm. And okay, if this mom is driving that girl across states to get an abortion, then mm. who's staying with those other kids at home, potentially that rapist still. Yeah, because that's also some of the questions raised about his relationship with this family here. Yeah. <laughs> the questions that come out of this seem like this story is going to evolve into a very, it's like Alice in Wonderland here, you know, <laughs> falling down the rabbit hole. But it just makes you sick because you know that this is not the only story. Mm. This is not the only young girl who's been victimized. That this happens. I mean, just looking at statistics from the RAIN website, and that has to do with victims of abuse. And I mean, there's one in six girls that get Mm. abused, Mm. which I was thinking that that number has changed a little bit. I was thinking it was one in four before. But, I mean, this is something that we see frequently, but we have no consequences for these Mm. perpetrators. They just get to keep doing this. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure, as we discover, the abortion industry seems to make this more frequent, you know, (laughs) because people are not brought to justice and they're allowed to continue this stuff and hide it. And we know that there's a trafficking kind of underground industry going on, too, that we need to get more justice on that. But well, what the, about the girls that don't end up getting pregnant as the result of being abused? Yeah. That, then they're not yeah. going to be found out. Yeah, they're just going exactly. to continue to get abused. Like there has to be some sort of way to stop this mm. in just, I don't know. 
I am like pro death penalty for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these sick people, and that yeah. is because that's what God's word uh, yes, says. Definitely. <laughs> and once we stray away from what God said in His word, that we need to say what is right, what is wrong, and this is how we handle mm. people that abuse and harm children then we would have a totally yes. different society. <laughs> yeah. But no, we forgot that a long time ago. And unfortunately, young children, I mean, I know we talked about this before, babe, on one of our abortion episodes about how abortion exploits women. Oh, yeah. And this is just a case of showing, okay, yes, it exploits women and it exploits young mm. girls. Yeah, and definitely. Abortion, we have to say enough is enough. Mm. Abortion is not the answer. Mm. Criminal justice is yeah. the answer. Putting the criminals mm-hmm. on death row. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. So you are, and it's like almost like, okay, like I could wish that somehow, you know, <laughs> We can have multiple death penalties for multiple offenses for the same person, but I know that, yeah, I know that's not how things work biologically, but yeah, you know, (laughs) and yeah, we also see as, you know, I have some information that we'll see later how, yes, abortion definitely is a tool of those who abuse women. It's not something that liberates women or girls like this. It's something that people like Fuentes here, you know, can use as a tool to oppress women and girls. And that's the side of the coin that the abortion industry and politicians don't want people to talk about. How is your flame of truth, Christian? Is it burning bright? Hi, I'm Rebecca Bershwinger, creator and host of One Little Candle, a weekly podcast dedicated to encouraging, empowering, and equipping believers to be the light that God has called us to be, so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. So join me and light your own little corner of the world. You can listen to One Little Candle on all major podcast platforms or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And so, yeah, July 6th, the police interviewed the girl. She identified Fuentes as the rapist six days before the arrest. July 8th, President Biden announced an executive order to protect access to abortion. And he mentioned the rape incident that at this time had little known public information. And he said, imagine being that little girl. Just imagine. Well, yeah, I definitely empathize with that statement, but not for the reason he gave, because, you know, they just made abortion as the issue there. And of course, did President Biden, I don't recall him mentioning anything about police are on the case uh, after this, you know, it's like you're supposed to forget about the idea that someone made her pregnant, that someone needs to pay. Now, July 11th, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost appeared on the primetime program on Fox News to say that they are still investigating the case. So I mentioned this is the Attorney General of Ohio, and and he said, quote, We have regular contact with prosecutors and local police and sheriffs and not a whisper anywhere, unquote. 
Yeah, so that starts to raise questions. And from what I can research here, it, to me, it seems like this guy was credible. He's trying to figure things out. But he wasn't hearing things. But wait a minute. There was a police report on June 22nd. There was also on July 6th, as we mentioned, police in Ohio interviewed the girl. She identified Fuentes as the rapist. But at this time, all the way on July 11th, the Ohio Attorney General wasn't getting informed somehow. No one knew this. Wait a minute. Um, This is raising questions here. Uh, Independent journalist Megan Fox of PJ Media also appeared on the same show to give her insight and what she had tried to discover because she was taking it upon her shoulders to try to figure this out because she was uh, submitting FOIA requests, you know, police departments, things weren't adding up for her. She wanted to know, you know, from the Indianapolis Star, what did they know? She asked, uh, tried to contact Dr. Bernard, you know, to get information from her what did she report like where's the pregnancy termination report like can she see that because inquiring minds need to know about things like this but they're all in the dark about this which led megan fox to eventually write an article having a bunch of red flags as to whether this incident really was a hoax or not and also ohio attorney general dave yost here he was questioning whether this was really uh, true whether the girl actually existed whether this incident actually happened This is days after we have these reports that are now mentioned having happened. (laughs) And so now we get to the next day after Fox News, you know, had interviewed these people questioning the incident. And then all of a sudden, July 12th, police arrested Fuentes for the rape charges. And then you had all these legacy media articles basically chortling about how, you know, (laughs) look at these right-wing media uh, you know make a fool of themselves you know questioning this and now here we go we prove that it's a real thing after they were telling us it was a hoax and like you know it rubs egg on their faces in fact it shows just how much they don't care about 10-year-old girls they what are they trying to cover up what are they you know like just shows how radical they are about trying to protect their precious laws prohibiting a abortion, restricting abortion and stuff like that. Like they think that they won the day with this, like (laughs) right after the day after you had all this stuff, all these articles, it's to me, it seems like, okay, when is the best time to flip the switch? And they see, okay, now all of our opponents keep hitting and, ooh, this looks good. Uh, look at make a fool of themselves. Are you ready? Let's make it happen. And so we can make them eat crow. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, really, this is the kind of questions that makes me, like, think it's quite political here, especially with the information that's coming out now about what was known before. So then now, to finish it off, the next day, July 13th, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita told Fox News that he was now investigating Dr. Bernard to see if she complied with the law to report the rape. And Indiana University, where Dr. Bernard works, filed a HIPAA complaint against Dr. Bernard for telling the story to the media. 
But then we find out the next day after that, July 14th, so we have Megan Fox of PJ Media, the one who is really trying to dig into things. She received a message from Indiana University that they conducted an investigation and confirmed that Dr. Bernard complied with all the laws. And, okay, so the university filed the HIPAA complaint, then the university said they did the investigation. Then, you know, by the next day, they said, oh, you know, we've confirmed that Dr. Bernard has complied with everything. You know, she didn't reveal private information to the media and so on like that. And so that's that. Uh, Megan Fox also found out that Angela Ganot of Fox News a local Fox, received the pregnancy termination reports. But PJ Media, you know, Megan Fox, like basically asking, well, can I have that? I've, I've done a FOIA request. PJ Media, the news source she works for, couldn't receive the termination reports because the reports are confidential. But Ganot, who did receive the report, said on Twitter that she received the documents and, quote, appears law was followed, unquote. So it seems to me like there's some kind of non-disclosure agreement with this somehow, because it's like, okay, we can trust this person will just be a yes person and say, it looks like everything's fine. I got all the documents and everything looks fine. And USA Today can say, you know, ha ha ha, the conservatives seem to think that Dr. Bernard was uh, a little underhanded here, but hey, there's no evidence. We all confirmed that she filed everything and there's no HIPAA violation, but PJ Media couldn't get those documents because they're confidential. Very interesting questions here that are being raised, and the most important questions now are, wait, who knew what? As we're finding out things that happened earlier, did the police keep information from the Ohio Attorney General? Why were all these people in the dark there about this stuff that were in official police reports? Wouldn't Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost and wouldn't Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita know this stuff? If it's in official police reports, when they're investigating, like either they're hiding something or the police were hiding things from them. Because how do you reconcile looking into it and not a whisper with official police reports going on days, weeks before they said this in the media, other than there's some kind of cover-up going on here to, and to try to make these people put their foot in their mouth and discredit themselves? And I think another question then that gets raised is the fact that Fuentes was an illegal immigrant. And as uh, Megan Fox, when she was interviewed by Glenn Beck, she mentions that the city in Ohio where they lived, where Fuentes lived, was a sanctuary city. So to protect illegal immigrants from being deported there, and we know that leftist politics favors letting illegal immigrants in. And that could contribute to the, how long it took until there was a political opportunity to try to silence those or make fun of those who were calling this a hoax and to bolster the abortion propaganda about this issue. But who's the victim in all of this? Who's the victim of political garbage? It's this 10-year-old girl. 
And yeah, as I also mentioned, the mother defended Fuentes as the investigators were at the door. The mother didn't seem to have the interests of her daughter in mind. So it also raises the question, is this Fuentes guy her boyfriend? And is this a form of trafficking? That's a question in my mind, especially given the illegal immigrant situation going on there. So, yeah, there's all kinds of questions as to why things took as long as they did for political opportunity and cover-up. And, yeah, so who gets forgotten in all this? Who gets exploited in all this for political gain? It's that 10-year-old girl for a political campaign for abortion. So, I also have some questions about the abortion policy in debate here. So, thy first question in this situation and situations like it is, number one, is abortion access the primary problem in these situations? Well, I think we see that that's not the question at hand. As we mentioned, the biggest question is, who's the criminal and how do we enact justice against the criminal? And number two is, could abortion access exaggerate these situations? Could they agitate these situations? Can they make these type of situations even more common? Because we think about what's in it for abortion clinics in these type of situations. Well, the clinic gets money from abortions. The rapist or the abuser gets to repeat the offense and the child's abuse remains hidden and repetitive. You have repeat customers. I know it's repulsive to think about, but we really need to ask these kinds of questions when it comes to situations like this because Fuentes admitted or confessed to raping the girl multiple times. What if they couldn't get abortion access anywhere? Or what if there were more complications of that? What if she could have gotten abortion in Ohio? Well, I know there's another question because um, several have mentioned that the Ohio heartbeat law still would have allowed her to get it in Ohio and that there was the one of the questions, yet another one is, why did they go to Indiana? Was it just to make a political point? You know, were they instructed to do that for this article? You just don't know. That's another question to be raised. But I guess technically, you know, she could have gotten it in Ohio. And okay, so it's very common for perpetrators to mm. go across state lines to yeah. get the abortions because it's easier to cover up. Oh, yes. And then the report is filed in another state. They can't track down that person mm -hmm. in that state. It makes it way easier for cover up. And that's what I know, you know, some of the things I mentioned earlier about the cover up and how like the pro-life people we've been saying for years that there's such a huge cover up with Planned Parenthood mm. and the abuse that goes on. Because there was one dad that was bringing his daughter across state lines mm. three to five times to yeah. have an abortion and no one was saying anything. And these mm. clinic workers knew the girl and knew that dad mm. and he was still doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it is a huge cover up. And my prayer is that the story makes people so frustrated that we can expose this mm. and show that we need to stop letting these criminals get away with this.
Yeah, and abortion is an enablement for that. And there's an example here, liveaction.org talks about in 2007, Lila Rose, who is uh, president of uh, Live Action. So back in 2007, she and another woman went undercover and Lila Rose played the part of a 13-year-old, visited uh, Planned Parenthoods in different states and So Lila claimed she was pregnant from an older man. So basically she was 13 and the older man that impregnated her was 31. So eight Planned Parenthoods across six states responded illegally. They would tell her to lie about the man's age to avoid statutory rape charges. So basically lie about it that he was, you know, like in this instance, say 17 or something like that to avoid statutory rape charges that would complicate things. And they coached her on how to avoid parental notification and to, as you mentioned, sweetheart, go out of state and get a secret abortion. So yeah, about those state lines, about the idea, like, I don't think the issue of getting abortions outside your state is the problem that the leftists claim that it is because, as you mentioned, people will frequently get, abusers will frequently get abortions outside of their state of residence for a reason. And, okay, with the FDA and Biden's newest executive order Mm. saying that mail-in abortion is totally fine, so are you 486? And Biden is saying, like, that you can take that in any state, even Mm. with these heartbeat bills and stuff. So this girl, she still could have gotten the RU486 even just mailed to her. Mm. And that's another issue with the mail-in abortion pill Mm. is that that just allows an even more cover-up because now they can call a doctor up and they just mail it to you to have an abortion. So there's so many ways that they just keep compounding this horrific sin that's going on. (laughs) Definitely. So we are. And we, and we also mentioned in previous episodes where we talked about the abortion pill being mailed, not only of course, are you killing the life of the baby, but it's also becomes risky as I mentioned, you know, no ultrasound and so on like that. It becomes risky to the health of the girls who take these pills at home and stuff. So you have that situation there too. So yeah, it doesn't sound like Planned Parenthood and abortion clinics really care about women. They just care about their bottom line. There's overwhelming and undeniable evidence that Planned Parenthood cares mostly about taking in money through abortions. They care little about teenage girls being exploited if it means repeat customers. And as you mentioned about the dad, you know, and the daughter there bringing them in and they knew them and they, yet they wouldn't report it when they're required by law to report abuse. And yet Planned Parenthood doesn't want to do that. And Lila Rose exposed that and reported on it. And yet the government still wants to protect them, tax taxpayer fund them, keep the abortion trafficking ring going, the abuse ring going because it's money, money at the expense of women and children. And who loses out on this? 
10-year-old girls and others like this. With this case that we talked about, it's not the bane of pro-lifers who are trying to get the truth out and protect girls and demand that rapists and abusers be caught. Those who lose out are girls like this and who wins are the abusers. And so we should seek justice. That's what matters. First, we seek to protect women and children against abuse, and we want to punish the abusers. And I think the Bible has some good passages about that. And you have one, sweetheart? (laughs) Yes, I think that Matthew 18.6 is a great verse just to remember what God says about people that are harmful to young people and children especially. So verse 6 it says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Yeah. So that sounds like a death penalty. (laughs) Yeah, it's a death penalty there. It's better for him that that would happen because, yeah, God cares about children and he wants to punish abuse against children there. Let's see. I have Psalm 82 verses 3 through 4. It says, defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. And so, yeah, we need to punish the wicked and protect the oppressed. And Psalm 72, 4 says, referring to God, He shall judge the poor of the people, he shall save the children of the needy, and shall break in pieces the oppressor. So that's what we have to look forward to, the justice of God. And then I have a short passage that seems to reference the political aspect of all this. So Proverbs 29, verses 26 through 27 says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. And so that's what we see here with those who really want true justice, those who believe in the sanctity of life. They are an abomination to the wicked who seem to want to protect abuse and trafficking and exploit children for political gain with uh, abortion access. But yeah, the word of God wants true justice, true equity to be done. Punish the criminal, protect the innocent. And who loses out? How 10-year-olds are exploited for politics. And we hope and pray as uh, this situation evolves, as more information comes out, there will be true justice done. And the propaganda of the wicked exploiting this 10-year-old girl to campaign for abortions and make it a punishment for those who are fighting for life. I pray that God will, in fact, use this to turn it around and reveal just how political and just how abusive this really is. And so, hope that this episode was a little help. 
to provide some more information, as you've probably heard about this situation, but to show just how the questions are raised and just show what God thinks about this. And this case does not prove that we need access to abortion. It proves the opposite, and it proves that abortion abuses people and children and women, and that the focus should be on biblical justice. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 